0: Welcome back to another episode of Watch the Game, presented by the Nation Network. I'm your host, Sam Blazer, and this week, I'm uh, joined by a contributor over at Winging at Motown and over at Hockeygrass, Prashanth Iyer. Prashanth, how are you doing today?
1: Doing pretty well, Sam. How about yourself? Good.
0: I can't complain. We are recording in the middle of a Wings game, which, you know... It should be sacrilegious, but I, I I apologize. I feel like with the way that the season's been going thus far, it's not too much of a loss. But what have you thought about the season thus far uh, in the way that they've been playing?
1: Yeah, it's certainly a little bit easier to, to switch off of the game uh, this season as opposed to the previous 25. <clears throat> you know, coming into the season, I didn't really have very high hopes for the team. My initial guess was they would finish somewhere between 7th and 11th. I think a combination of injuries and uh, poor utilization of players led to this team finishing even worse than expected, even for me. Um, you know, Like I said, I thought they would be a little bit closer to the playoffs, but now we're sitting uh, just about dead last in the Eastern Conference. I think there's a number of factors that are going on with this team right now, and there's not a very easy solution Um, from the number of contracts that they have that are going to be very, very problemsome moving forward um, to the, uh, I guess, aura around the organization in terms of this concept that the young guys have to season for a period of time in AHL, that veterans should hold the tiebreaker, that young guys can only play in the top six. There's basically a number of idioms that this team holds on to that have been Largely disproven over the last four or five years, but for some reason are still very prevalent in the organization. So I think there's a lot of problems now, and there will be a lot of problems going forward.
0: You mentioned a lot of things that I'm more than likely going to bring up over the course of this show. But the one thing that I thought was interesting uh, – you and I discussed this on Twitter just only a little bit – was the – "Quote unquote goalie situation or uh, goalie controversy that's uh, been happening or is in the midst of right now. What do you make of it? Is there anything to even be said there, or is this P- just Peter Morazic's show and everyone should just move on from here?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it was fascinating because coming into the season, you know, it was the pre- it was the Peter Morazic show. Like he had he had started to falter towards the end of last year. It started on February fourteenth last year when the Wings had a six five wild shootout versus the uh, the Bruins uh, that they ultimately ended up winning. But that was really the first chink in Mrazik's armor. And then he continued to decline from that point to where he actually lost his starting job back to Jimmy Howard um, and then managed to regain it after a couple of games in the first round versus the Lightning. But coming into the season, it was going to be the Peter Mrazik show, and he was horrendous. Uh, at one point, his save percentage, I think, was around 885 uh, in the middle of December, and on the flip side, Jimmy Howard had posted a one nine five goals against average. He had posted uh, a nine thirty save percentage. And even though he wasn't getting the wins, he was just simply sensational. Um, and then Howard gets hurt, and you're not really sure what's going to happen. And so they turn it back over to Mrazek. He continues to struggle, and so they call up six foot six Jared Coro from the AHL. And lo and behold, he has a couple of good starts uh, where the Wings are able to play well defensively in front of him. And he actually gets a couple of shutouts. And all of a sudden, we had a couple of beat writers in Detroit. Um, I won't mention names here, but they decided (laughs) to foster this idea that we were going to have a goaltender controversy, not between Mrazek and Howard, but between Mrazek and Coro. Um, this was after Coro had 13 NHL games played and it was actually suggested that the wings should protect Coro over Mrazic. Um, that's an asinine statement and there's no reason that should happen. Uh, and so moving forward, this should still be the Peter Mrazic show. I firmly expect the wings to leave, uh, both Howard and Coro unprotected in the entry draft or in the, um, expansion draft. They will protect Peter Mrazik, and at this point, you can't you can't leave him unprotected. He's 25 years old, and um, from an analytics perspective, even though goalies are voodoo, um, the numbers we've got uh, from Nick Mercadante and the uh, and Ian Fleming and the adjusted expected goals saved above average, Mrazik over the first few hundred games of or the first hundred plus games of his career um, was sitting squarely in the top five of all goalies in terms of being able to reduce those. Uh, adjusted expected goals uh, saved above average for 60 minutes he does have the smaller sample size and so you do wonder if that'll eventually um, settle down but I think at this point there's no way even after having a nearly year-long dry spell where he played very poorly should you leave him unprotected so he will be the guy moving forward.
0: You'd hope so. You definitely hope so. And then you talked about uh, almost with 100% certainty that Mrazek's going to be protected there. But here's another factor that I want to talk to you about. And it has to do with the rebuild and it has to do with roster construction. And it has to do with the goalies as well is how much trust should fans have in Ken Holland and how should people feel about Ken Holland moving forward uh, helming this team?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's an excellent question, and that's the million-dollar question right now. Um, For me personally, I have very little faith in Ken Holland. Um, And, you know, part of – this is a very challenging thing to evaluate because over the last few years, you know, the Wings have always been push, 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 even as their big-name players left. So after Nick Lindstrom retired a few years ago, after Rafalski retired a few years ago, after Datsuk left last year, um, the the mantra has always been push – you know, part of me wants to pin a lot of that on Ken Holland because, you know, a lot of what you hear from him is, yeah, you know, same old tie goes to the veteran. We need to go out and make splashes in free agency. I'll, I'm happy with the guys we've got here. Um, but at the same time, I do wonder how much of that was driven by ownership, particularly Mike Gillich, who, um, you know, had been in failing health for the last few years, passed away earlier this year. Um, I do wonder how much of that was a directive from him in wanting to get another championship, um, you know, at, if he could. I think with Illich's passing, we don't really know yet how his son, Chris Illich, is going to influence and impact this team, but already I thought you had a fairly successful trade deadline for Ken Holland and being able to move Brendan Smith for a couple of picks, being able to move Thomas Vanek. Um, being able to even get a pick for Steve ott I mean, I thought that was unimaginable. Um, so I have to think you're a little intrigued by what he could do. And you do have to wonder how much of that was ownership influence. I'm still not very comfortable with him being the one directing the ship, given his resistance to analytics, um, and the, any role that they can really play. So I, I'm hoping that after next year, um, when his contract is up, he does decide to step down or move into a different role um, because I'm not 100% comfortable. Although, like I said, you don't really know how much of that was ownership versus the way Ken Holland wanted to run the team.
0: And it's tough because, like you said, I thought the trade deadline, uh, because I read over at Wings Nation, I thought like, from everyone I spoke with and what I saw, I thought it was a pretty good trade deadline considering what happened. The, the Vanek thing, you know, to some is inexcusable, but I think considering the way the market shifted early on, the reason people were biting on that those a lot of these trades is because of how – you know, everyone everyone's like, "Oh, this is really, really high," and I don't think we're gonna have anything better than this. Pounce now, and I think the, the Vanek market ended up, uh, you know, closing up a little bit, and it stinks. But you you, you got to move on, and you know, he took what he was able to get, and I, and even if Vanek ends up returning, that, that's another you know wrinkle, and that's another discussion, I guess, for another day. And so I, it is a weird thing because you can you can pinpoint places on uh, Holland's record recently where you're like this isn't good. This is very, very bad. And, but then you can also think to yourself, well, you know, it seems like he has some shrewd moves there. And I feel like a lot of the times he's caught in like a rock in a hard place, with his decision-making. So what you said makes a lot of sense to me, I think.
1: Yeah. I mean, like I said, you don't really know what, what ownership had, what kind of pressure that, you know, Mike Gillich was putting on Ken Holland to mm-hmm. make some of these moves. Um, you know, the, the devil's advocate argument to that is Illich has generally been a pretty hands-off owner. He's not a guy like a Jerry Jones who's going to get very, very involved in forcing um, you know, people to do things the way that he wants to do it. Um, but at the same time, when you do go to evaluate the moves made by Ken Holland, um, you know, like I said, I was pleased with his trade deadline, but Uh, it's vastly outweighed by the number of inexcusable contract extensions and free agent signings that he's made, you know, over the last few years, uh, you're looking at a guy like Danny DeKaiser, who's about to hit another five more years on his deal. Um, you're looking at Justin Abdelkader, just starting year one of a seven year extension Mm -hmm. Franz Nielsen's in year one of a six year deal. He's 32 Um, you know, Darren Helm just got a five-year deal, uh, and he's 30 years old. So you're really, you're, there's, there's too many, you know, negatives against Ken Holland for me to just excuse, um, a lot of what's transpired, even if there was a significant amount of pressure placed on him by ownership. I think his judgment or his decision-making should have allowed him to pass on some of those deals.
0: Yeah, I I would, I would definitely agree on that front. And the, this is another interesting question. I feel like it's not talked about enough, and I don't don't even know if it should be a discussion just yet, but the rebuild is slowly but surely happening, and they almost need to identify the key pieces, and Zetterberg still has some value to him, so I guess it's going to be a little bit of a two-part question. Who do you think the key pieces are on this Red Wings team, and then what would you say would you say that Zetterberg should be a piece moving forward or should they sell him off uh, that he has some value, um, at least at this point in time?
1: Yeah, that's a very challenging question. And I think, you know, for me, the guys I look at as being the pieces moving forward that are currently on the roster are Dylan Larkin, Anthony Mantha, Andreas Athanasiu, and that's it. And then you have Peter Mrazek, obviously, in goal. You know, none of the defensemen have particularly impressed me to where I would say that they're going to be core pieces moving forward. I think everybody on that back end is going to be a supporting piece at best. Um, among all the forwards, I would ideally keep Thomas Tatar in addition to the three that I mentioned, given that he is 26 years old and provides insane value. Um, so if, if you're really pinning me down, it's, you know, maybe <laughs> Tatar, Larkin, Mantha, Athanasiou, and then Peter Mrazek. And at that point, everybody else should be up on the trade block. Um, when it comes to Henrik Zetterberg, it's a very difficult question because of the loyalty aspect. Um, you know, I couldn't have been more wrong about Zetterberg. I think at the beginning mm. of the year, I said he should be the wings' third line center, preserve him, get the minutes out of him that you can, but you really want to save his legs. And the guy's turning in a 60 point season at 36 years old. Um, and that just blows my mind. But at the same time, you have to recognize there's still four more year, four more years on his deal at $6 million a year. Um, that's not going to age well, even if you are getting 60 points at 36. The decline is likely to be precipitous given his history of back issues. And he really is one injury away from that being a long-term injured reserve scenario. Um, so I think... If you have an offer and you have a team that is willing to take that contract, you have to approach Zetterberg and ask him about it. Um, Obviously, he's been a wing for his entire career. He's been here 13 years, Mm -hmm. uh, and it would be hard to move on from him. But from a business standpoint, it makes sense to move on from Zetterberg, given that he's still demonstrating he's got some value, um, but that contract is eventually going to bite you.
0: Yeah, and it's, that's the tough part, is that, there, I forget who I was speaking with, I know it was someone within the past couple of weeks on the show, is that, you know, we, the players that can and do play like almost into their 40s, they're these special players, and a lot of times they're these generational players if uh, injuries don't get them. And Zetterberg, I mean, off the top, I think he's a great player, but he doesn't seem like this player, considering his injury history, did you know to keep pushing. So that's why this season I like you look at it and you're like, "Oh man, they they got to do something about this. They have to." And if they don't, I feel like they're missing out on possibly some good value there. But I <sighs> there's also then you're going to have the sentimental factor too. And that's going and that always happens with fans and that I think it happens more with GMs than we tend to admit is that they always think their players are better than, you know, other players they're always like have such a high value because they see them more often they know what they can do and they don't necessarily take into account you know other players so you're gonna look at zetterberg and you'd be like this guy's been doing this forever why why do we think it's gonna stop and then you have to look at it almost from uh, an objective point of view but i how how often are you going to be able to do that when you're so close to someone you know it, it's it's weird it's weird
1: yeah and i mean detroit in particular is very prone to overhyping prospects and overhyping their players i mean If you look over the last 25 years and you see the Wings pick Nick Lindstrom out of the third round, Datsuk out of the seventh round, Zetterberg out of the sixth round, I mean, you're going, yeah, the Wings just consistently do this. Our prospects are always better. Um, And so there's a lot of overvaluing and overhyping of a lot of the Wings players. And, you know, particularly even at this point with Zetterberg, you're saying, yes, I'm getting a ton of value um, for him at 36 years old, giving me 60 points. I mean, that's elite middle of the road first line uh talent right there the problem is with that back history um number of back surgeries he's missed almost a full year uh of games in a few years you have to be looking at from a business standpoint can i still get something for him um obviously that flies in the face of the loyalty has been so big in detroit but You have to look at it from a business standpoint.
0: You have to. I I totally agree. Now, you mentioned a little bit about the prospects and their prospect pipeline. They have a couple, I think, of interesting pieces. But where would you identify the weaknesses in their prospect pipeline? And who's the player that you're excited about um, coming up through uh, that pipeline?
1: Yeah, I mean, the Wings prospect pool right now is is basically bare there's not a single elite level player in my opinion in their currently in their system um the weakest area for Detroit right now is center um they really don't have anybody aside from Dominic Turgeon um who's a 21 year old playing in Grand Rapids but you know I really haven't seen anything that suggests he's going to be much more than a fourth line, potentially third line player. Um, so the, the, their center depth is very, very poor, and then they're very, very bare when it comes to defensemen. Um, I think there's three guys right now that are getting me really excited. Um, these are the guys who I think can be either top pairing defensemen or top six players. Um, one is Evgeny Shmetnikov, uh, you know, Russian left winger, 20 years old. Struggled a lot in the early part of this season uh, in Grand Rapids, playing his first pro year. But over the last couple of months has absolutely been on fire. I believe he had a 14-game point streak or 13-game point streak, if I'm remembering correctly here. Um, and he's starting to find his groove. He's an exceptionally talented player. Great shot. I'm hoping he gets a shot with the team next year. Um to see if he can make the team right out of camp because that would be fantastic. He's the one forward I have very high hopes for, um, on defense. I'll actually change it. And instead of two guys, there's really three guys. Um, Joe Hicketts is my absolute favorite. I am really excited. And if there's one prospect, I'm going to hang my hat on in Detroit system. It's Joe Hicketts. I think he's a sensational skater, great puck mover. The knock on him is that he's undersized, but he hits like a truck. Uh, and he's a guy that can really, really make an impact. I think you you saw that in the World Juniors. I think the Wings have to give him a shot at making the team next year. The problem is that there's just so many bad contracts ahead of him that I'm not sure he'll be able to. Um, and then the other two guys are Billy Sarvey and then Philip Roenick, um, Roenick was a guy that I don't think many people were expecting him to be as successful as he's been so far, but he is an excellent, excellent puck mover, 19 years old, having a sensational junior year. I think he could be really, really talented. And then Billy's another guy that I think also has the potential to be very, very good, uh, good OHL season. We'll see if they can jump up into the AHL, um, potentially as soon as this year's Grand Rapids playoff run, see if they have a good year, and then have all three of them have a shot at making the team. Uh, Those are the four guys that I'm looking forward to. Unfortunately, those are also the only four guys, maybe save for Giovanni Smith, who I think have an NHL, a real NHL future.
0: Yeah, and... I've, I'm very, very impressed by Ronick, too, from what I've seen. Uh, when he got picked, I thought, you know, this is an interesting And then when he got, uh, this is an interesting selection. Because, like, you know, what he did in the Czech league I thought was impressive. But then when you put it into context, you're kind of like, I don't know what that really is going to end up being, but uh, he ended. You uh, got when he got pe- selected in the import draft. I thought that was kind of exciting, and then when, now he's the MVP of this team. <laughs> yeah. So you're like, wow, that's unbelievable.
1: Fifty nine games. I mean, more than a point per game for his his team. So I mean, that's impressive.
0: Well, without a doubt, without a doubt. And then this kind of adds on to what I wanted to ask about the defensemen. Is they kind of have these weird, like glut of defensemen that are young. Ish, but you don't really know what they're gonna be. You don't, you don't know what they're gonna do. Spruill, uh, you know, Jensen's not necessarily young, but and Russo's there. And I, what do you think their ceilings are? Or what What are they gonna be on this team? Because it's I. I don't know. They're. It feels like they're tweeners between the AHL and the NHL, and there's no real resolution to what they're gonna end up being in the years ahead.
1: Yeah, and this is probably one of the most important decisions for the Red Wings to make because over the next, um, over the next really two seasons. So after. So going into the 2018-2019 season and then um, going into the 2019-2020 season, the Wings are going to have to make decisions on Ouellette, Russo, and Spruill as all three are going to be restricted free agents over the next two off-seasons. In my personal opinion, Ouellette, Russo, Spruill, Jensen do not get any better than a number 5 defenseman. Um, I think you have four guys who are between the ages of 23 and 26 or probably not any better than a number five defenseman. And in my opinion, you can't afford to keep more than one of them on the roster. Um, and so what that means to me is you move Russo, you move Spruill, you move Jensen if you're able to, though the wings did just hand him a two year extension um, just a just a month ago, but you got to clear up space for those three guys that I just mentioned, uh, Ronick, uh, Suri-Arvey, and then, uh, Hicketts, Those three guys need playing time, and they need it ASAP. And unfortunately, because of the contracts of Danny DeKaiser, Nick Cronwall, Jonathan Erickson, you're stuck with those three guys unless Cronwall goes to long-term injured reserve. So you're really not going to have space to bring up those other three prospects unless you clear out some of these young guys. And this is where I think it's going to be imperative that the Wings make the right talent decision, recognize that none of those let Russo Sproul Jensen – are any better than number fives, and you got to move on from them. Uh, and that way, you're going to give yourself a chance to bring up the guys who can be top four defensemen.
0: It's a tough decision, and it's 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 going to be interesting to see how Holland deals with it. Because I feel like it's almost unique to how the the wings are built right now. They de- they have these older players that are, I, I guess, blocking spots, and I don't know whether or not. I mean, I guess it could be said, considering how they've played this far with Jensen and a couple, uh, Ouellette and a couple others, is that, you know, they're playing some top minutes, but then sometimes they're not. You're getting a tough, it's, it's a tough time to get a read on them. At least I think when I've been been able to watch them play, because you're like, well, they looked good there, but considering what's been, like, their partner, and cons- there's so many different variables, I feel like, when evaluating um the, the wings' defenseman—it's—it's it's tough to really get a handle on it all. But I—I I definitely agree that the the uh, potential for a lot of these guys just seems like it's bottom pairing. But they're trying to fit like a square peg into a round hole, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're absolutely right. And you know, I think the thing we should be or we should recognize is that it's. I'm glad the wings gave all four of these guys a shot um, this year. You know, at the beginning of the season, the only guy that was really, I mean, the only guy that was really on the roster was Ouellette. Um, You know, Sproul was in Grand Rapids. Russo was in Grand Rapids. Jensen was in Grand Rapids. You had Brendan Smith and Alexi Marchenko here. Um, part of me is happy that you brought all of these guys up, and you're getting to see what you have, and now you have to make the right talent evaluation. You have to make the right talent decision here. You have to look. You have to see that none of these guys, ulette has been the best of them, and he's the one I would keep. Um, but the other three, you have to decide that you're going to move on from over the next one to two years, so that you can bring up Hickett, Suryavvi, and um, Ronick, three guys who I think have the potential to be game breakers.
0: Yeah, and I think they I, like, they have a strong chance to do so. Now, uh, here's another question to kind of put on top of you know I, the usage uh, discussion. There, do you think that Jeff Blashell is going to be the answer? to this team because it's a, it's a debate that I feel like has been raging on silently because I mean he's not been given the greatest of pieces but by the same token you know what's he really supposed to do and uh, what he's done with Grand Rapids in the past it seems nice but but the talent was a lot you, you, there's so many questions there I and mean, it's tough to really answer what do you think of Jeff Blashill
1: Yeah I mean there's there's really two ways to look at him you know and, the, and it's the debate you've mentioned the The way that looks at him that calls him the problem is you look at usage, you see the scratching of Athenasi, you see scratching of Mantha. I mean, Mantha just sat two games as a healthy scratch. Um, You look at questionable ice time distribution. You look at uh, a number of factors in terms of his decision making. uh, When is he calling timeouts? And you really start to wonder, like, what is this guy doing? Why is he doing things the way he's doing them? You know, this team just looks bad. The wings spend, you know, I think the third fewest amount of time in the lead. Um, You know, they rarely score first. They're getting caved in from a shots perspective. Uh, So you just look at that and you go, man, this guy's a terrible head coach. You know, Riley Shahan's on the power play. He has zero goals in 70 games. Uh, Why is he on the power play and why is Anthony Mantha not? Um, you ask yourself those questions, and you say Jeff is a problem. On the other hand, you say Jeff ba- Jeff Blaschel's goal with a team that's got this bad of a roster is to develop the young guys who have a chance of making a difference. So he is harder on Manta. He is harder on Larkin. He is harder on Athanasiou than he is on everybody else. And that's because he knows that those are the three guys that are the future of this team. He's willing to scratch Manta and say, you know what, I know you have game-breaking um You have game-breaking abilities, but if it's not there 100% every night, you're going to sit, and he's trying to send the message, and he's trying to get the most out of those guys. The other thing I think he's doing is a difference from last year to this year is he's playing his system. Last year, I think there was so much pressure on him to get into the playoffs that uh, I actually wrote an article on how he adjusted his system to basically replicate what Mike Babcock was able to do with his team um, because I think Mike Ma- Mike Babcock really masked a lot of the flaws of this team by playing a slow, deliberate, New Jersey Devil-style game where if you slow the game down, you clog up the neutral zone, and you force a lot of dump-ins, you know, you create a choppy game where your opponent can't gain flow, and you can use a lower-skilled team to beat a higher-skilled team. And that's how a Bla- that's how Babcock got the most out. Blashell's system is- tends to open up things. He wants to open up the middle of the ice. He wants to drive play forward in that direction. He wants to activate his defense a lot more. Um, And the wings are getting crushed because of it. But I think it's worthwhile that the wings are going to play a system that will be effective when you have elite players in it. You just need to go get those players. Um, So I don't think he should be fired. I don't think he's been perfect but I think he should still be given a chance. He's trying to implement a system. He's trying to develop the right guys. Um, it doesn't look pretty right now because Wings fans are used to the last 25 years. But if you stick with him, I still have a feeling that he has a, that he can be successful in the NHL.
0: I feel that as well. And a lot of the blame will have been pointed there. And I feel like if you had some perspective on this team, you're able to see that this was coming. <laughs> this is like gonna happen and but it's tough for people to admit that after you know all the great seasons that the the red wings have had over the past couple decades so you're putting you're putting a tough spot to you know except losing, even though it's something that is going to be inevitable and something that was going to take place. Now, getting back to the playoffs is probably my next question for you, and I want to know what exactly is the pathway to do so. Is it going to be selling off the assets immediately, or do you think that Holland uh, in the new arena, they're going to try to uh, bring some veterans in and try to you know uh, uh, skip a lot of the steps to actually do a full-on rebuild?
1: Yeah, so in terms of what I think they're going to do, it's the latter. I think they're going to try and skip some steps and try and make a, a couple of splashes in free agency. Um, the issue with that is they don't really have a lot of cap space to do that, but that's how that's how I think the Wings are going to enter the offseason. My personal opinion, the way back into the playoffs is a very conscientious um, evaluation of what you have and then identifying the players that should be moved and what you can get for them. Cause the wings have a lot of guys making, you know, $4 million or more. I mean uh, they have at least eight guys making eight or nine guys making that much. And so when you want to identify the guys to move, you got to start looking at each of those and say, can I get something for them? So for example, Mike green should absolutely be moved next year at $6 million a year with next year being his last year, he's a guy that in the offseason, I'm going to say, hey, anybody want something for Mike Green? I'm going to make it well known that on day one of the season, Mike Green is available. He's a guy I need to ship off. Um, Second, when I'm structuring my uh, expansion draft, I want to make sure that I'm not letting Las Vegas grab a cheaper player from me. Um, you know, one of the things that I've heard is that a lot of people are saying the wings should leave Riley Sheehan unprotected and yeah, he's got zero goals in 70 games. I don't think the wings should leave him unprotected. I think they should protect him as a 25 year old forward at $2 million a year. And next year is his last year before he's a restricted free agent. That's a valuable asset that you don't want to lose for free. Both Justin Abdelkader and Darren Helm should be left unprotected. Those are big contracts for a number of years force Vegas to take somebody like that off your hands. If you, the Wings can get rid of one of those contracts, either the applicator or the helm contract, sell off Mike Green at the beginning of next year, um, and then approach Franz Nielsen about waiving his no-move clause and say, hey, I know you signed this deal coming here. We're not going to be competitive for a while. I want to offer you the opportunity to, look, to go somewhere else if you'd like to compete, given that he'll be 33 next year and he's still tied down for another four years, um, I'm moving him away. And then I'm starting to bring those young guys in, and I'm starting to stockpile draft picks. Uh, the Wings have already done a great job of that. They have four, four third-round picks this year. I think the Wings should use one, if not two of those, to convince Vegas to take a guy like Abdelkader or Helm. Say, here, I will give you two picks if you'll take one of these guys. Um, you got to do what you can and then continue to sell off, get assets. I think Nyquist is another guy at 27 going on 28 years old, Um, probably not going to be what the Wings thought he would, but still a upper end to mid second line player uh, who can get some value back as well because you got to restock the prospect pool through the draft and through acquiring prospects and deals. And you got to get rid of some of these high dollar contracts otherwise you're never going to be able to attract the free agents you need
0: i agree i agree wholeheartedly on all those fronts and it's going to be tough to uh convince uh, holland to do something like that but that's why they need to hire you as gm right that's that's the next logical step
1: (laughs) they don't hire me as gm i have offered to consult for them for free i am just i'm not giving up my job because uh you know i'm not going to leave all the years of schooling that i've done for that but More than happy if you got a phone call, (laughs) you got a question, just give me a call and I'm more than happy to tell you no to whatever you're trying to do.
0: Ken Holland, if you're listening to this, uh, we can get you in touch with Prashanth. Um, I have a couple of. Last questions, they're more NHL based. So we will switch gears from the uh, the with the wings and not be uh so depressing, I guess. Um <laughs> the fr- <laughs> the first thing I want to ask is and this is a, a kind of an in vogue question, but what is it about the game that you change? What is it about that you think makes it great and that you'd uh, have it stay the same? I feel like uh you know the get rid of offsides is the big thing, but I feel like uh, a guy like you who's innovative and uh, smart uh probably has a, a bunch of ideas. So I want I want to give you the floor and see what you have to say.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the game, you know, the thing I love most about the game of hockey is the sheer speed of it. Um, You look at every other sport right now and nothing is played anywhere near as fast as hockey is played. Uh, So I absolutely am a huge proponent of getting rid of the offsides. Um, You know, if you were able to get rid of uh, offsides and allow the game to really open up. You're going to open up the ice a lot more. You're going to see a lot more of the skill come out from players. Um, you're going to see a lot of those, um, you know, aspects of the game that make it appear beautiful, um, really shine through if you were able to eliminate something like offsides. And at the same time, I think you'd be able to, uh, I think you'd be able to increase scoring given uh, you have the potential to generate so many odd man rushes. Um at the same time, you know, there's one thing that's really stuck into me. If you ask anybody right now what's, what's the most exciting part of hockey, it's three-on-three. Three. Why don't you just play the whole game three-on-three? Three? I, I I recognize that it's a lot more debilitating in terms of the uh, – it's a very uh, taxing shift for each player. Um but at the same time that does create a lot of those odd man rushes when a player's gassed and has to get to the bench. Um, so, you know, my thought: shorten the season to 60 games and play everything three on three. Um, I think you would have the most entertaining product in the NHL by far. Um, it already doesn't make sense to me that we're one of the few, uh, sports where we have our overtime played under different rules than the rest of the game. So might as well just go everything to three-on-three, see what strategies come of that. There's really no way I can see a team um, finding a way to shut down scoring there. You're not going to get a New Jersey Devils trap um, going in three-on-three. So that would probably be the thing I would love to see the NHL experiment with. Uh, I don't think we'll ever get that. Um, I don't think the players would ever agree to that. Um, But I do think that would be the most fascinating an exciting um, thing we would ever get to see.
0: I would, I totally, it's in, it'll, like you said, it probably won't happen, but, and you know, give some NHL coaches some time. I feel like they could figure out how to make it boring. Right. That seems to be, <laughs> be something that uh, I know um, Jeff Merrick seems to bring up is that you know talking to the coaches and getting the players away from the coaches more often he thinks that's that could be something that allows uh you know the players a little bit more freedom a little bit more creativity on the ice and i feel like it's something that could happen and if the 3 on 3 is part of that i'm all for it and i think any way that this could possibly take place is uh, i'm all in support for now the final question i want to ask you is whether or not uh, there is a storyline this year that you've been following and you're a big fan of. doesn't necessarily have to be around the Red Wings, but you know, just the NHL in general. Is there anything that you've been watching and you're just like, I can't believe this is happening, oh my goodness.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a number of really, really great storylines that are going on right now. Um, you know, For me personally, I think the one that I'm probably keeping track of the most is is how Pittsburgh is playing right now. And if we're really going to get this back-to-back champion for the first time in, you know, 20-plus years, um, I think it's a story. It's a it's kind of flown under the radar. It started off slow when Pittsburgh started off very slow. Um, when Columbus was on fire, you know, the Penguins kind of flew under the radar. But right now, um, the Penguins have to be the scariest team in the NHL, and it's Absolutely unbelievable! Uh, everything they've been able to put together. I think it's a very underrated storyline. Um, we'll obviously hear more about it if they're successful in the playoffs and continue to advance. But the development of you know Connor Sheary into a bona fide top line forward, uh, the development of Jake Gensel, who's played extremely, extremely well. You're looking at how they're able to protect and hide that piecemeal defensive. Group that's not got a lot of big names, but you look at the resurrection of Justin Schultz back there. You look at how well Chris Latang has played. You get Matt Murray in his first full year playing very well, and then obviously you've got Crosby and Malkin. And I mean, this is just such a fascinating team that's been constructed so well. It's continuing to—they um, just seem to keep adding guys who are going to be successful, and. You just have to wonder if they're really building a team that has a chance of going for several years now um, as being the legit cup contender and the legit cup favorite. Um, I know as a Columbus fan, you're probably not a huge fan of seeing (laughs) Pittsburgh be super successful. And I mean, neither am I, but I'm just blown away by how well they've been able to put together that team and how well it looks like they might be able to keep it going.
0: Well, that, it's, there's definitely a distinction between appreciating a team and then, you know, when they're facing your team, you're kind of like, well, son of a gun, get them away from, you know, from uh, from my team. And I think that the, the Penguin storyline is a really, really strong one, especially when you take into consideration all the injuries that they've overcome. Uh, a huge storyline. I feel like the past two, three, four years, and I'm sure it's been a little bit longer. But it just seems to be in my mind, at least, because of uh, the Twitter craze, is uh, talking about man games lost, and they are yeah. they have a startling amount of man games lost, and they're still like performing at this level, and it's like unbelievable. It's a, and it's a three way, you know, uh, horse race there, like to try to get the president's trophy, and then the first place um in the uh the entire league or, in, or actually in the uh, eastern conference rather and so i'm just interested to see where the heck they like they go with it all and they have a chance to do it and if they do that their their pathway i feel like as the uh, the number one seed would be surprisingly easy because whoever's going to be facing off in that two three game is uh and for the metro division is going to absolutely be a slobber knocker they're gonna knock the crap out of each other and like i think they're gonna come away from that a little bit more damage than anyone wants to uh uh you know admit um but i guess that that'll be it for us um but before i let you go i want to be able to give you the floor to plug where you can find you on twitter where you can find your work and um anything else that you've been watching on tv or movies or you know anything locally that you want to plug as well
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, obviously on Twitter, you can find me at IR underscore Prashanth. I haven't really put out a lot of work recently as it's been a little busy. As I finished my residency, I'll be picking back up, um, you know, writing next month as I'm finally wrapping up a lot of the the long-term projects. So I've got a few things, uh, in mind that we'll try and put together and see if we can get any good data out of it. Um, But, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, uh, the life of a resident, you don't get to see much television. I will plug UNC basketball. Um, We've got a big game Friday night versus Butler. Let's see if we can uh, get me another title before I leave here. I know.
0: I I feel like they're about to rope you in. Do you think they can actually do it?
1: Uh, They scared the crap out of me uh, the other night against Arkansas. I actually got so mad I shut it off with – 330 to go when Arkansas was up 65 to 60 and I missed the entire 12-0 run um, because I got so mad at them but we'll see Um, a lot of the big guys are falling they have a big test against Butler and then if they're able to get past Butler both Kentucky and UCLA are real big tests that's it's
0: brutal it's a brutal road and that's what makes the i think ncaa tournament so exciting not many upsets this year but it's one of those things where you watch it and you can at least appreciate the skill and the you know the runs that take place because i've i've been there before with ohio state when they were you know in the tournament and uh, heading to the final four a couple times you just close your eyes and you're like i don't want to be a part of this anymore <laughs> <laughs> so i've been there well Prashanth, i appreciate you coming on and uh talking hockey with me today
1: awesome thanks for having me sam